Oh, the wonderful cross. That is such a weird thing to sing, Lord God. An instrument of death. And yet your scripture refers to it as a tree. Oh, that wonderful cross. Well, God, I pray that you'd help us to see something we haven't seen, to believe something that we haven't believed, to, to know something in a new way that we haven't known or allowed ourselves to be known by. God, I pray that you would help us to see you this morning. In Jesus' name, I pray that you would help us to preach. Amen. Good news, he is risen. That's what we say. That's what we say on Easter. Christ is risen, but that's one guy out of like what since Adam? 100 billion, I found that, I Googled that. 100 billion, one out of 100 billion since Adam. One, that seems kind of small. But then we say, yeah, but because he won, you win. You win. Well, how good is he? What do we win? How about you, sir? Step right up. Hey, honey, let's see how good this guy is. Now, would I win? Uh, anything in this general area, right in here, anything below the stereo and on this side of the bicentennial glasses, anything between the ashtrays and the thimbles, anything in this three inches, right in here in this area, that includes the chiclets but not the erasers. No. Good news, you win. Everything in this general area, anything to the right of Led Zeppelin and the left of Joel Olsen, anything in this religious zone, um, including the choir robes, but not sex or Harry Potter. (laughs) You win. It's free. It's free. Totally and absolutely free if you believe, which means joining our thing and paying your dues and going on the mission project. I mean, sometimes Easter seems small, and it doesn't sound like news, but more like a sales pitch or maybe even a a threat. Good news, he has risen. But is it small? Is it news? And is it good? For some reason, I stumbled across this guy on the internet. Check this out. Suppose you were walking by my house one day. You've been walking by for a long time. And I were to go up on the porch and say, Hey, stop, I've got some good news. Good news for you people. Stop, stop, stop. You don't have to go down in my basement. (laughs) This is great news. You've been walking by all this time. You've been ignoring me. And I deserve to be recognized and honored, and you've been ignoring me, and it's made me so angry and so mad, and I just get so horribly mad, so I built this torture chamber down in the basement. (laughs) And there's some hooks down there, and there's some sharp things, and there's some vats of sneaky stuff, and there's a furnace, and there's some chains, and it's horrible, and there's flames, but you don't have to go down there. I sent my son down there. And and it was gruesome. I tell you, it was really horrible. But 
That satisfied my anger. And now <laughs> his blood was shed and now I'm now now you now you're free. You don't have to go down. All you have to do, come on up here. Just come up and tell my son that you love him, and hug him, and then you can move in with us. We'll live up in the attic, and you can, you can tell me how great I am. Uh, you can, you can, you can just tell, you can just tell me how much you love me, and we'll do that. Won't that be great? So, would you keep walking? <laughs> so, would you keep walking? Now, some of you are thinking. Wow, awesome. I can't believe someone said it and, and on Easter. Some of you are really disturbed, kind of like I was disturbed. You're, you're thinking Jesus did die for our sins. And they were laughing. And God is just. But is that justice? Is that good news? We know some folks think that's good news. I guess Dan Barker, the guy in the video, thought it was good news 35 years ago when he was a, a pastor, but now he's an atheist, and I, I think that was some sort of atheist convention, and they were laughing because they don't think that news is good news, because that God is not a good God. So is God a bloodthirsty, insecure deity who demands our loving affection with threats of torment in his basement? I mean, is God that needy? Is God that codependent, that neurotic, that narcissistic? Did God take Christ's life on a tree in a garden to feel better about us. Is God a taker? And would you just keep walking? No! You would not just keep walking. If you thought that that was in fact God, you would not keep walking. What would you do? You would go in. Not because you loved him, but because you were terrified of him and his basement. You'd say, well, oh, I believe, I, I believe, I, 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 I trust, uh, but you wouldn't trust. Because that news is not good news. It's a threat. You can't produce faith with threats. You can produce tithing units but not faith. Faith means trust. Well, St. Paul believed that the resurrection of Jesus was just insanely good news. About 20 years after Jesus rose from the dead, Paul wrote his first letter to the Corinthians. In chapter 15, he reminds them of the good news. I'd like us to read most of that chapter rather quickly, asking these questions. Number one, is it small? Is it news? And 
Is it good? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Now, I would remind you, remember this. I remind you, brothers, of the gospel. Gospel means good news. You don't threaten with the gospel. You just announce it. You preach it. The gospel which I preached to you, gospel which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. I, I think Paul would argue that belief... Faith is, is not in vain. But, but anyway, I hope, hope you see there is good news. And it's not dependent on you or else it wouldn't really be, be news. Yet, you are being saved if you believe. Now, that, that doesn't mean that your faith creates the good news. But your faith does mean that you can enjoy the good news. And it doesn't mean salvation is the result of believing, so much as salvation is believing. And believing is salvation. So you're not simply saved or not saved. You are being saved from not believing. And it doesn't mean that if you don't believe now, you can never be saved. Years ago, I had my kids, I took my kids, I took my kids for a ride on a giant banana in the Sea of Cortez. It was being pulled behind a motorboat. Now, Becky, the second from the end, at a certain point, well, Becky was terrified of sharks, but I finally convinced her to go, and at a certain point, of course, we got flung off the giant banana and into the sea. I swam to Becky, who was beginning to freak out, and I said this, Becky, look at me. I have good news. In high school, I was a lifeguard. Do you confess that you need saving? (laughs) And do you believe that I can save you? And all she did was like scream at me and she didn't answer my question. (laughs) That was her choice. And so I honored her choice and let her drown in the Sea of Cortez. We all miss Becky, (laughs) but my other children feel better about their choice to trust me. (laughs) Actually, that that didn't happen, Becky. She's she's right there. But (laughs) she rose from the dead. Um, Actually, that, that didn't happen. But this, this did happen. When I tried to help Becky, she kept trying to climb me. I mean, literally climb me and stand on my head so that she would be safe and away from all sharks. She tried to save herself, which was drowning me, which wouldn't have been good for her. And so I pushed her away and I began to yell, stop it. Just stop it, Becky. Stop it. I pushed her away and I poured out my wrath because I love her and I don't want her to drown in the sea of Cortels. That's, that's my choice, my choice. When I was a lifeguard, I learned that large, frightened, drowning people will often, and she's not very large, but anyway, large, frightened, drowning people will often try to seize control. They'll panic and try to take salvation so they can't receive salvation. So to save them, you have to not save them and just watch them drown for a while. Then when they've spent themselves and can no longer try to save themselves, you can save them and swim for them. While they're drowning, they're not being saved. 
They're being prepared to be saved. And when they are saved, they begin to trust their Savior. Then everyone can enjoy salvation and the giant banana ride in the Sea of Cortez. You know, even if you were a lifeguard with superpowers, if a person thought they took salvation, then they couldn't receive salvation and know salvation or the joy of salvation or you, their Savior. Well, imagine if we are like constantly saved. I mean, imagine if like every heartbeat is an absolute gift. Imagine if we are like constantly saved, but we just don't know it. What what a weird idea. Paul continues verse three. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. You know, sin is not believing. It's not trusting. Not trusting, we took Christ's life trying to save our own lives. Yet Christ gave his life so that we would trust, so that we would believe. He saved us from not believing. Paul writes that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one. Now, you might not have caught this. Paul just wrote, he appeared to the twelve after he died before he appeared to the 500, which is before the disciples replaced Judas with Matthias, the the resurrected Christ appeared to the 12, yet one of the 12 had already sunk into the depths of the sea. Judas was dead, and Jesus appeared to Judas. But make no mistake, Judas missed Easter. He he took control and so couldn't surrender control and receive grace. He hung himself on a tree before he could see that Jesus hung on a tree for him. Perhaps God shut the door and let him drown for a while in order that he might be saved. Whatever the case, Judas, Judas sent himself to the basement. And in a way, he was already in the basement, or maybe the basement was in Judas. Judas sent himself to the basement, and Jesus went after him. That was his choice. Both Paul and Peter write that Jesus descended into the depths of the earth, Ephesians 4. He preached good news to the dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does, 1 Peter 4, 6. In other words, Jesus preached, and dead people believed. And when people believe, they are no longer the same. Justice is not people getting what they deserve, because people deserve nothing. Justice is God getting what God deserves. And what does God deserve? People made in his image. Justice is God destroying faithlessness and imparting faithfulness. We're justified. That means we're made right. We're justified by faith. Well, anyway, Judas missed Easter. But Easter did not miss Judas. Judas. 
Maybe Easter isn't so small. Verse 6, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. You know, Paul had been just like Judas, only much, much worse. He writes, but by, by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, as if where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach. We preach good news, and so you believe. See, our faith doesn't create the good news. The good news creates our faith. The good news is the word of God, and the word of God creates all things, including faith. The good news isn't small. It is rather big. Verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruits means there's going to be more fruits. You know what believers are? They're fruits. That's what the Bible says. And Scripture says that even believers are, um, believers are a kind of first fruits, which anticipates even, even more fruits than that. Verse 21, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Not one, but like a hundred billion. And that's not a threat. That's not a bargain. That's not a possibility. That's news. That is really, really, really big news. As in Adam, all die, so also in Christ will all, shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then it is coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. <laughs> there are no enemies after the last enemy, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So there is no basement full of endless death. And check this out. God's wrath is against the basement. The faithless, hopeless, loveless, lifeless, empty place in the depths of the earth. In the depths of our own hearts. God's wrath is against the basement. God's wrath is not against Jesus. Well, except that God was in Jesus, God's, he bears his own wrath. Paul says that, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And, and Jesus said this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is the heart of the Father from the bosom of the Father and nailed to a tree. The wrath of God is not against Jesus, it's more like the wrath of God is Jesus. I mean, what is it that's in those seven bowls of wrath that gets poured out on the earth in the book of Revelation? Well, it's blood, and the life is in the blood. It's the lifeblood of that lamb standing on the throne. The life is in the blood. It's the life of God. The life of God is wrath upon the basement of death. Sometimes it looks like an earthquake. Sometimes it looks like a fire. Sometimes it looks like the Father does not care, but he does care. He's not destroying you. He's destroying what you think is you. 
He's destroying the basement. He's saving you from your sin. He's saving you from your old self. He's allowing you to drown in order that you might be saved. He's allowing you to come to the end of yourself in order that you might see him and trust him. I mean, think with me. Faith must be wrath upon faithlessness. Hope must be wrath upon hopelessness. Love must be wrath on lovelessness. Life must be wrath upon death, and grace is, grace is most certainly wrath upon sin. And at the cross, the wrath of God poured out, poured out of Christ and into the depths of the earth, the basement. And so at the cross, the wrath of God is accomplished. It is finished as the blood of Christ, the life of God, fills the whole earth. Verse 27, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it's plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. All in all. You know, it's very clear that the Apostle Paul believed that uh, through Christ, God was in the process of filling all things. Which means all things are like missing something. Something's missing. What's missing in this picture? I mean, that, that kid looks lost. That picture is missing the way. And just seeing it causes you to miss the way, to long for the way. Well, this picture is missing some truth, don't you think? This picture of death, well, it makes you long for, for life. So, so what's missing in this picture? The way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. A picture of insanity makes us long for reason. And Jesus is the reason. He is the logos, the logic of God. What's this picture missing? Well, for one thing, color. For years I prayed for a friend who'd been ritually abused and Jesus would appear to her in memories and heal them and heal her. She, as well as my wife, told me that the memories were all in black and white, for Satan only sees in black and white. They were black and white until Jesus would appear, and then the memory would turn into a vision, a vision of living color full of brand new meaning. So what's missing in this picture? Beauty, reason, the way, the truth, the life. It's missing love, and God is, is love. So what's missing in Dan Barker's picture of God? God! 
God is missing in Dan Barker's picture of God. Not necessarily in Dan Barker, but in Dan Barker's picture of God. God is missing. And that's some good news. The God that Dan Barker doesn't believe in doesn't exist. And Dan Barker doesn't believe in that God because something in Dan Barker does believe in love, light, beauty, reason, the way, the truth, and the life, the good. And Jesus said, God alone is good. God alone. And that's some pretty good news because when you hope, what do you hope for? You hope for, for the good. You're hoping for the good. And when you hope for the good, you're hoping for God. And good news, he will fill all things, including you and Dan Barker. God destroys enemies by turning them into friends. God fills all things like spirit or breath, fills lungs, like blood um, fills uh, lifeless flesh. And you know that hurts at first. Uh, like life, uh, filling a corpse. Verse 35, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? <laughs> and with what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, writes Paul, you dummy. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. It's sown perishable, and what is raised is imperishable. That's like an eternal body full of eternal life. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. You know, we think, we tend to think that spirit is less real than matter, but matter created, it was created, matter was created by spirit. When Jesus rose, he had a body that ate fish, that drank wine, that walked through walls. And when it walked through walls, it was more real than, than the walls. And the scars, the scars on his body were no longer shame. They've been transformed in, into glory. He had a body that could commune with his bride in ways we can only begin to imagine. He had a body made for love. He had a body no longer bound by space and time. That's why you love those Back to the Future movies. He had a body no longer bound by space and time. Paul writes, if there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus it's written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam, the eschatos Adam, the ultimate man became a life-giving spirit. Remember how it happened? Jesus, the eschatos Adam, hung on a tree in a garden and cried, it is finished and delivered up his spirit. Pays close attention to scripture, and I think you'll see that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life, both in the middle of the garden, are the same tree. And the tree in the garden where Christ was crucified is somehow also that tree, as is the tree of life in the middle of the New Jerusalem. Adam, that's Hebrew for mankind, Adam takes the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil from that tree to make himself, create himself, to save himself in the image of God. We take the law, that is the knowledge of good and evil, to justify ourselves. We take the life of love, kill the life of love, turn him into laws, and then we only see in black and white. 
We take Christ's life on the tree, and everything dies. God gives Christ's life on the tree, and everything lives. The cross is a giving tree that we thought was a taking tree. There are certain things that cannot be taken. They can only be received. If love is taken, what do we call it? Rape. And we don't know love. If love is given, what do we call it? Well, (laughs) life and sometimes a baby. If life is taken, we call it murder. If life is given, we call it sacrificial love or or grace. God did not take Christ's life on the tree. He gave Christ's life on the tree. We took Christ's life on the tree. So who is the bloodthirsty, insecure deity who tries to take love with threats? Who is that needy, that codependent, that neurotic, and that narcissistic? Who is the taker? We are the takers. At the cross, we took the life of love, and God gave the life of love, and now we know the good and the evil. God the giver is good, and the takers, evil. But here's some pretty good news. God in Christ gave his life long before we took his life according to Scripture, as was the plan. Sometimes people ask this question. They say, why did Christ have to die on the cross? Technically, if if you follow through the end, why did Christ have to die on the cross? Well, he didn't. He didn't have to die on the cross. God doesn't have to do anything. God wants to do everything. God didn't have to create all things. He wanted to create all things. He's not needy. He's the giver, the absolute giver. He is love, and Jesus is his word, and Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord, my own will. When Jesus delivered up his spirit, whose spirit was he delivering up? He was delivering up the spirit of God, delivering up the Holy Spirit. He became a life-giving spirit. God is the life giving spirit, and he gave himself according to his eternal plan. God the Father and God the Son gave according to their eternal plan. In other words, they said, let us make, and they did, because they wanted to, and they still are, because they still want to, and they will, because they want to. This week, I was reminded of one of my favorite, my kids' favorite, not mine, my kids' favorite children's books, The, the Giving Tree. They thought it was, it was good news. It's about a tree that loved a boy, and a boy 
that, loved a tree. But when the boy gets older, he takes fruit from the tree in order to sell it and get money so he can be happy. Older still, he cuts down the tree's branches and builds himself a house so he can be happy. Still not happy, he cuts down the trunk to build a boat and sail away so he can be happy. Then after a a long, long time, the boy comes back very, very, very tired. And the tree says, come boy, sit down and rest. And the tree is happy. And the boy is happy. The end. The cross is the giving tree that we thought was the taking tree. But don't feel guilty for the taking. Feel grateful for the giving. You need to understand it's all according to plan. God chose to reveal his love for us. You do your worst and I'll show you my best. He chose to reveal his love for us and thereby create us so together we would rest and be happy. The end. And the beginning. Verse 45, thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood, flesh and You know, my flesh constantly takes. That's how it gets bigger. It takes life and turns it into death. And Don't think about that right now. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Look, behold, I tell you, Mr. Mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, imperishable and this This mortal body must put on immortality. Must, must. Do you get that? Must. Easter is not an option. (laughs) It's not your choice. It's God's choice. And his word will not return void. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where's your victory? O death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin. Sin is trying to take God's life. And the power of sin is the law. The law describes God's life. But thanks be to God, who gives. God gives his life. He forgives his life. His life has a name. It's wrapped in flesh. His name is Jesus. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the victory that overcomes the world, writes John, our faith. And thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. By giving love, God creates our faith in love, and that faith is not in vain. That faith 
changes us and changes everything. It's the capacity to receive love and to give love. For Christmas, I think it was Christmas, or was it my birthday, my daughter Becky gave me a book. My daughter who rose from the dead in the Sea of Cortez, Becky, <laughs> gave me this book called The Giver. And uh, I read the book, then I watched the movie. Jonas is a boy who lives in this futuristic dystopian society. At first, at first it looks pleasant, but then as you watch it, you realize something is, is missing. No one dances, there is no music, they reproduce, but no one makes love, and everything is in black and white. It turns out that the elders had outlawed the memory of love, for, you know, love is hard to control, and with love comes pain. They reason that when people have a choice, they always choose wrong, and that's true. But love is not our choice. Love is God's choice, born in us and then rising in us. And yeah, learning to love, gosh, learning to love really hurts. But living in love is absolute ecstasy. Well, anyway, the elders, they took love and turned it into law. They, they knew about love, but they outlawed the experience of love, communion with love. They built a, this high-tech wall around their city to protect their city from the memory of love. Yet, yet the society has a receiver who remembers love in order to gain wisdom and then share it uh, with the others. Jonas is picked to become the new receiver of memories. The old receiver gives the memories to the new receiver through, through touch. When Jonas remembers love, he comes to know that his society is evil. The old receiver, played by Jeff Bridges, and Jonas, the new receiver, come up with this plan to give what they have received to everyone, the memory of love. Well, it's science fiction. So, of course, it's, it's silly. Jonas will sacrifice his life so, you know, the people can remember love. Jonas will break down the law, the barrier to love, and, well, this is what happens. Well, I love you, Jonas. There, there it is. You have the courage. Let me give you the strength. Can I just... receiver in training has been reported missing from his dwelling. With love comes faith, with comes hope. Love is just passion that can turn. It turns we, we into contempt and murder. We could choose better. <laughs> people are weak. People are selfish. When people have the freedom to choose, they choose wrong every single time. We are living a life of shadows, of echoes, of faint 
distant whispers of what once made us real. Giver had led us here to this house. It was real. Well, it's silly, but it kind of reminds me of Easter. His shadow world is flooded with the memory and the knowledge of love. <laughs> and not dead love, but but living love, music, beauty, truth, and life. It's his, it's his old world, but now filled and in living color. He arrives at a house containing something that the giver had helped him to remember. In the house, there's a tree, and under the tree, there are these presents. It's a giving tree. It's a Christmas tree, and it's Christmas. On Christmas, the angel said, Behold, good news of great joy that will be for all the people on Easter. The good news conquered death and hell, and now it's conquering you. Good news, God is the giver, and God is the good, and God is giving himself, and more good news. Once you receive him, you receive all things with him, and more good news. He even gives takers the capacity to receive. At his tree, he turns takers into receivers who receive what he gives, who then begin to give like the giver. It's like the giver said, it is more happy, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We just didn't know it. So good news. Christ is risen. Is it small? No, it is absolutely everything. Is it news? Yes! It's not dependent on you, but you are dependent on it. And is it good? Absolutely. It is goodness himself. Do I believe it? No. My mom said yes. She's hoping for me. <laughs> no and yes. In other words, I am being saved. I believe and I don't believe, and yet, you know what? When I do believe, it changes everything. It changes every situation. It changes the way I see, it changes the way I see you. It changes the way I see me. It changes the way I talk to people. It changes uh, the, the way I forgive people. It changes the way I worship God from not or just pretending to, to actually worshiping him, actually adoring, it changes me when I believe. 
So Paul finishes. God gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You see, he wants us to share in his work and share in his joy, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. (laughs) Hey, look. There's a tree. And he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body. Given to you. Take and eat and do it in memory of me. And having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the covenant in my blood poured out for the four Forgiveness. That's like forgiveness beforehand. For the forgiveness of sins, drink of it, all of you, and do it in memory of me. So we invite you to join us at the table. Now, you don't, you don't have to, at least not now, but if you want to, Tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup. The dark cup is wine. The light cup is juice. Take the good news because he's given the good news, okay? He gives you the good news. Take the good news and eat it. Amen? Let's worship. So, Lord God, you you are good. I mean, I always want good stuff, and I'm complaining about not getting good stuff, and you're the good. You're the good in everything, and you're the good to me, and uh, Lord Jesus, uh, you're showing me. I thank you that you're showing us that you are good, and, and Lord God, I thank you that nothing is more powerful than the good, not even me. That's good news. In Jesus' name, amen. And so by way of benediction... Um, I'll say what I always say, and that is believe the gospel. But now I hope you understand what I'm saying a little better because it's not just me saying it. Gospel means good news, and believe is in the imperative tense. I didn't say, hey, you could, you could believe the, the good news, or I hope you believe the good news, or you might believe the good news. I said, believe the good news. It's a command, and it's not even my command. It's the command of the Creator. It will happen, but you might as well let it happen today, and then you can join the party. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel. Amen.